All right, take your Bible this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have been with us, we are going through this book of Scripture and around the theme of Christian living in a pagan culture. And it fits so well in the day and age we're living in. Last week when we were together, we looked at chapter 3. Paul painted for us three pictures of the church. He painted a picture of the church as a family, and he challenged them, grow up, get out of the baby pool, start learning to get into the deep end. He also painted the picture of the church as a field, and everybody has a, has a part to play, a work to do, and he told them to show up. And then he also painted the picture of the church as a building and how we need to build for the Lord on gold, silver, and precious stones. Well, today in chapter 4, Paul is describing three pictures of spiritual leaders. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you follow along as I read some of these verses. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as you had not received it? You were already full. You were already rich. You've reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Father in heaven, we pray this morning as we look at the text of Scripture that you would use your Holy Spirit to open our eyes of understanding, to understand what it means. Father, also to apply it to our life as a form of conviction, correction, or encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and they had a problem of spiritual hero worship. 
Yet at the same time, some were trying to distance themselves from Paul personally. So he gives them a reality check by painting for them three pictures of spiritual leaders that should be applicable to us today. The first one that he paints a picture of in verses 1 through 5, the leader is a steward. Now he gives description of leaders in verse 1 and 2. The first word that he uses is a servant. Let a man so consider us, meaning Paul and Apollos and Peter and any of the other apostles, consider us as servants of Christ. Now that's an interesting word, servant. I like what Warren Wiersbe says about this word. Paul called himself, Peter and Apollos, servants of Christ. The word translated servants is literally under rower. Now, what in the world is that? When you remember the ancient movies, the old movies you've seen with these Roman ships that had all of these oars sticking out the side. That was before they, they had uh, motors or anything like that. And if they, didn't, if they couldn't use the sails, they wanted to get to their, to their battle. So all of these galley slaves were down there pulling on the oars and pulling. And that is the word that Paul uses, an under rower describing servants, spiritual leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. We are not captains of the ship, but we're the slaves who row the gospel ship of grace. Now, is any one slave, Paul says, greater than another? The mantle of spiritual leadership can cause some people to get an inflated view of themselves and to put themselves on some kind of a pedestal. So Paul says, hey, we're nothing but galley slaves rowing the gospel ship. Another word that he uses to describe those of him and the other spiritual leaders was a steward in verse 1. They are servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, we don't hear that word too much today. But a steward in the Bible description is a servant who manages everything for his master and himself owns nothing. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember, Joseph was sold into slavery and he was bought by a, a captain in the Pharaoh's army called Potiphar. He was a, a leader. Potiphar put him to work and he worked up the, just one of the servants, one of the slaves of the household. He worked himself up so much that Potiphar made him the chief steward of everything he owned. So Joseph handled all of the other slaves. Joseph handled the, the crops and he handled everything except he didn't handle Potiphar's wife, <laughs> even though she accused him of doing it. But he was a manager he was just one, didn't own anything. And that's exactly what Paul describes. Hey, you and I, we're just working for the master. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. We get to hold in our hands the gospel message and the word, the revealed word of God. And we've got the privilege of working for the greatest master of all time. And here we are just doing this for our Lord, entrusted with this privilege. He also said that 
these kind of spiritual leaders, they are required to be a faithful man. Faithful. In verse 2, more of it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Just showing up for duty. A lot of times people think that, well, God wants you to be successful. God wants you to be charismatic. God wants you to be profitable and fruitful. Well, the one requirement that God has for all of his workers is just to show up for duty, to be faithful at your job. John Eglin had never preached a sermon in his life, never. It wasn't that he didn't want to, he just never needed to. But then one morning, he preached a sermon. The snow had left his town of Colchester, England, buried in white. When he awoke on that January Sunday in 1850, he thought about just staying home during the snowstorm. Who would go to church in such weather anyway? But he reconsidered. He was, after all, a deacon in the church, and if the deacons didn't go, who would? So he put on his boots and hat and coat and walked the six miles to the Methodist church. Walking six miles to church in the snow, both ways. He wasn't the only member who considered staying home. In fact, he was one of the few who came. Only 13 people showed up on that Sunday, 12 members and one visitor. Even the minister was snowed in. Someone suggested they'd, they'd just go home. Eglin would hear none of that. They'd come this far, they would have church. Besides, they had a visitor, 13-year-old boy. But who would preach? Well, Eglin was the only deacon, and it fell to him, and so he did. His sermon lasted only 10 minutes. It drifted and wandered and made no point in an effort to make several points. But at the end... An uncharacteristic courage settled upon Eglin. He lifted his eyes and looked straight at the visiting boy and challenged him, Young man, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Did that challenge make a difference? Let the boy, who grew up to be a man, answer. He said, I did look, and then and there the cloud on my heart lifted. The darkness rolled away, and at that moment I saw, the, I saw the Son of the Lord Jesus Christ, the boy's name, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, England's prince of preacher, all because a deacon just showed up. God expects us to be faithful at what we're doing. There's times when we're tempted to quit. There's times that we're tempted to give up and just do nothing and stay at home. But God wants all of us as his servants to be found faithful. Paul also goes on talking about the evaluation of leaders in verses 3 to 5. Now, he is talking with the Corinthians and he says with them, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or a human court. Of course, they were saying some nasty things about Paul. He wasn't our favorite preacher. We like somebody else, and they were doing other things. In fact, I do not even judge myself, Paul said, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So what he is saying is they are evaluating. His evaluation is not by others. Have you ever watched those Olympic diving competitions back in the day before they had a lot of electronics? 
when the, the diver would dive, then they looked at the judge's table who, hold, who held a card. 9.9, 7.0. It's like the Corinthians were doing this when each of their favorite pastors would get up and give a sermon. Ah, Apollos gets 9.950 for content. Paul, 7 for delivery, 9 for content. They were judging their favorite preachers. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm not being judged by you. I don't have that. We must be careful not to allow the scoring of people to determine our doing of our job for the Lord. Now, it's encouraging to hear compliments and get a pat on the back after people, after you've taught the word or preached the word or served the Lord in some capacity. But don't depend upon the positive reactions of people. Sometimes you could get an overinflated view of yourself, you know? When everybody tells you're so great, then you go and look in the mirror and say, well, maybe, uh, maybe I'm not such a great thing. Paul is saying, I'm not evaluated by you. I heard a story of one pastor who thought he was doing a very good job, and he had some kind of a sickness, and he had to go to the hospital. And he was visited by the chairman of the deacons who came to comfort him. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know that the deacons met, and we voted to pray for your complete recovery and return to health. The vote was six to three, but we, we want you to, to, to get better. Most of us do. <laughs> Sometimes we, we can't depend upon other people's evaluation. And Paul said he didn't even evaluate himself. Not even how you evaluate yourself, but Sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves or too lenient on ourselves, but our evaluation, our true evaluation comes from God. Look at as what it says in verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Well, this is exactly what I'm teaching on Wednesday night, the judgment seat of Christ, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness. In other words, those things that nobody noticed that you did for the Lord. Those things that you even forgot about. The Lord's going to bring them to light, as, as uh, Brother Chuck sang. Faces. Some of those people that you influenced that you forgot about, you didn't even know that you shared Christ with or gave a track to or somehow influenced them. The Lord is going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness. It says, and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Not the people, not yourself. But God is the one that's going to evaluate, give you a true picture of what you have done and give you an evaluation at the reward seat, the Bema seat of Christ. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, the leader is pictured as a steward. But the second painting that Paul is drawing for us here is the leader is a spectacle, verses 6 through 13. Now, he starts out in verse 6 saying, No Christian is better than another one. And we learn not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. All of us are the same. There's no Christian that has a higher relationship to God or, or a higher standing and they're a saint or there's something like that. The ground is level at the cross. So don't, don't be scoring on, on these ministers of, of yours. We're all the same. We're all belonging to the Lord. Every Christian 
owes everything they have, we're indebted to God. What did you have? What do you got that wasn't given to you? The Corinthians later will find that they're, they're boasting about their spiritual gifts and they're using that to play one-upmanship on their fellow believer. And, and Paul simply asked them, whatever you can do, if you have that spiritual gift, if you have that ability, or if you're, everything you got comes as a gift from God. Look at your hands. You came in this world naked. You didn't have anything. And any treasure, any wealth, any gift, any job, any promotion, it all comes from the Lord. You're indebted to God. John the Baptist said it well. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, here in these verses, there's a contrast of Paul and the apostles to humble their opinions of themselves. Now, as you look at this passage of Scripture, you might wonder, what in the world is Paul talking with? seems like he's arguing with them. He's, he's kind of uh, doing a seesaw thing. Verse 8, you are already full. You're already rich. You've reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign, that you also may reign with us. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Now, what in the world is Paul saying here in these verses? And continues on saying that whole, uh, that terminology in verses 11 through 13. He is contrasting the Corinthians' opinion of themselves with the reality of those who serve God. This is the way you think. This is the way your own attitude is. This is the way it really is. And you might say the spectacle, the ones that are to be an example, the ones that are to be looked to, is him and all the other apostles. In verse 11, to the present hour, we, apostles, servants of Christ, hunger and thirst, are poorly clothed. We're beaten homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. We have to work for ourselves. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. Verse 13. We've made the filth of the world the off-scouring of all things until now. So Paul is using words to describe the Corinthians in their own opinion of themselves. They said, we're full. We're rich. We're kings. We're wise in our own eyes. We're distinguished. They had somehow missed two things. They missed the example of Jesus. And they missed the spectacle of the apostles. That that whole teaching of humility just passed them by. They didn't absorb it. They wanted to, be the, they wanted to have the blessings, the riches, the fullness, the lifestyle of a kingly reign. There's a whole segment of Christianity that are just like them today, and that is fed by the hyper-grace preachers, the name-it-and-claim-it crowd, the live-your-best-life-now crowd, the ones that say that God only wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy. They have missed the whole teaching of Jesus and the apostles. 
Derek Prince is one of the purveyors of this view, says God's not judging America. Even, he doesn't even judge unbelievers, and they cannot be under God's wrath because all sin was judged on the cross. His book is called Destined to Reign, The Secret to Effortless Success, Wholeness, and Victorious Living. It is so far removed from the Word of God. The Corinthians had right in front of them the example of the apostles that suffered for Christ, were humiliated, were hungry and thirsty and dishonored, and even they missed that the fact that the cross is part of the Christian life. God has displayed the apostles as spectacles of those who really want to follow Jesus. This is what the Christian life is. It's not like you guys think that you're immune from any kind of suffering, that you are blessed, and that only good things are going to happen to you. Well, we all want that, but the reality is, if you live a life of faithfulness to the Lord, you're going to have to pay the price. And he painted the picture. The apostles, the spiritual leaders, were a spectacle, were an example of what the Christian life is like. But they didn't want to see that. (laughs) So, Paul is painting a third picture of the spiritual leaders, of course, including himself. And that picture is the leader is a spiritual daddy. He is a spiritual father, verses 14 to 21. Paul had brought them into the world of faith. Look at verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Now, many ministers might address and advise and instruct the Corinthians, but only one had planted the seed that brought them life. Paul was their father who stood by them and assisted at their birth. He was the one that witnessed to them. He was the one that preached the gospel in synagogues when those received Christ as their Savior. And so he had an intimate concern for them. They were like his children. So he also, because that he was their spiritual father, he was able to say, he instructed, he he served as an example in verse 16. Notice what it says there. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. You know, what, what was he saying? That he was perfect? No, he wasn't. You follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. I've been walking with him, and as I follow the Lord Jesus, you look at my example. I wonder if you parents, you grandparents, you teachers, you that are involved in discipling someone else can look over at those people and say, follow me. Do what I do. That's convicting. That is convicting. You can say it, but you need to live it. It's not what you instruct as much as how you live your life that people are going to see because you can, you can be the best preacher in the world and you're the best teacher in the world, but if you go out there and, and you don't live it in front of people, they're going to say, well, it didn't work for him. It's not going to work for me. That's exactly what people are going. So we are obligated to to exemplify in our life the teaching that we speak. He also instructed them in verse 17. He says, for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who's my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ 
as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul taught them and did his best, but he, was, he knew that they needed more. So he said, Timothy, go down there and, and, and finish what I started in that church. And then as a spiritual father, he had to do something else that is not fun. I don't know if your parents ever told you, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Don't believe it. Paul said in verse 18, Now some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who puffed up, but the power, for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Notice what the next verse says. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Just as earthly parents sometimes have got to use the switch so that their kids will listen. Paul is saying the same thing to the Corinthians. Remember when you used to put your kids to bed, take them up the stairs, Put them in their beds, read them a, a story, tell them a Bible story or some kind of bedtime story. And then you pray with them and you tuck them in. And this is now go to sleep. And then you walk back down the stairs very quietly and you finally get into the recliner, put it back. Ah, we're alone. We can relax just to talk or to watch TV. And then you hear it. Pitter-patter little feet on the ceiling. They're running around upstairs. And then you hear jumping on the bed. And then you hear that cry. And then you're sitting in your chair and you can't rest. And you look up at the ceiling. And you start talking to the ceiling. And you say, go to bed. And then you say those magic words as if something's going to happen. Don't make me come up there. Have you ever said that? (laughs) I remember saying it many times. Paul is saying to those Corinthians, don't make me come down there because if I come, I got a switch and we're going to make sure you learned this lesson. Paul describes himself and all spiritual leaders as servants. We're working for one master. Spectacles. This is what a follower of Christ needs to look like. And spiritual fathers who sometimes heart is broken and sometimes has to get the rod out. I wonder as we sum this thing up and make a couple applications. The number one requirement that God asks you and me, show up. Be faithful at the assignment that God has given you to do. There's so many people that want to bail out. I often told my kids as they were going into the work world, I told them this, son, daughter, if you just show up for work every day, early, listen to your boss, do what you're told, you're going to advance so much that you'll be at the top of your field in no time because there's so many people that are just bailing out in this culture. God expects us to show up for duty. I wonder if we need a licking from our Father. 
I wonder if there's some area in our life where we need a correction. We need the word of God to speak to our heart. I trust that we would learn to be faithful servants. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for this day. And I pray that God, your Holy Spirit, would take the word this morning. As you have spoken to my heart, speak to all of your children today. If there's one here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use the word, use the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring about new life in that soul. God, may we, as your servants here at Peace River, show up for duty every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close.